Warning, the following presentation is intended for mature audiences and it contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, adult dialogue, and strong language. This podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and their guests, and every effort is made to ensure that information is accurate. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome fellow armchair detectives. I'm your host, Ashley Boitis. And I'm your host, Tamlin Rousseau. And And this this is Just In Crime. Join us as we explore the issue of gender-based violence and femicide in South Africa. By exploring the victims and their stories. The 4th of October 2012 was a typical spring day in Claremont in the Western Cape. Anzanette and her family lived in Buschenenbach, which is an affluent street in Claremont, and their home was very secure. It had a drive-in garage, it had an alarm system, there was fencing, burglar bars and gates. So, you know, just the general safety measures every South African home has. Anzanette was at home with her daughter and her domestic worker when 31-year-old Muhammad Armin Sali arrived at her gate. Okay, so I'm probably going to mess up this name, but let me just try. Muhammad Darmin Sali. So, like, how close was I? On a scale from 1 to 10. <laughs> um, 6.5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go with the 6.5. 6.5, love that for me. But for everyone who is exactly like me and did not get that right, can we please just repeat it one more time? Okay, so for the people in the back... His name was Muhammad Armin Sali. Sali and his father had done work on the family's roof two weeks prior, and Sali did some extra work fixing locks and doors on the property. Sali told Anzanet that he wanted to inspect the work that was done on the roof, and that's how he gained access to the property. Upon entering, he confronted Anzanet and demanded the money for fixing doors and gates that they owed him. He had apparently previously requested the money, but she told him to come back because she didn't have money with her at the moment. And dude, I don't know about you, but I never really have any like cash lying around at home. Yeah, dude, definitely. I mean, like... I can't really think of any situations off the top of my head besides maybe like Uber Eats or if I was trying to buy a broom and feather duster that I wouldn't need like money in the house. So I can completely agree with you on that. He then continued to say that because she didn't pay him, he was just going to casually take some of her possessions and keep it until she paid the money that he was owed. So kind of like collateral. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I guess. I mean, bro, I literally had to do that at Spur once. Had to leave my phone, go and get money. Very embarrassing. So I can understand the logic. But coming to someone's house and demanding their possessions just seems a little bit mm, outrageous to me. It's it's very outrageous. And honestly, the trust system definitely isn't the best system to work off of. Yeah. But Sally continued to say... 
I took a camera, Blackberry, and an iPod. She started arguing with me and hit me from behind. Then I took the knife out that was in my pocket and I started stabbing her. She tried to reach for the phone and then I slit her throat. After murdering Anzunette, he proceeded to take the possessions. That is so wild. That escalated out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Like, I don't know how it went from zero to a hundred so quickly, but I mean, it did. But also, in the first place, I just need to know who casually carries around a knife that is big enough to kill someone. Like, the amount of damage that he did was definitely not done by a pocket knife. And if it was a pocket knife, like, it would make sense, like, that he had it on him. Just because pocket knives have many functional purposes, including, like, self-defense. But, I mean, in this case, he didn't really need to defend himself. And also, I could be wrong, but slitting a person's throat with a pocket knife cannot be an easy task. When you look at the use of knives in general when it comes to murder in South, the South African context, it's definitely the most widely used weapon because it's so easy to come across like you can find it in your house. It's cheap. It's very easily accessible. And again, people carry around pocket knives. So yeah, it's like a form of self-defense, like I mentioned earlier. And there's obviously other practical uses that a pocket knife has. But when you look at a pocket knife, it's not common that someone's going to cut someone else's throat with it. And the act of slitting someone's throat is not a very common thing that happens just because it's not like you see in movies. Like the blood spurts everywhere and the person is like quickly dead. Like that's, that's Hollywood. That's not real life. So the reason that slitting someone's neck is not common is because it is a lot of work. It's not quick at all. So when you look at the actual structures of a human neck, it doesn't really allow you to ease to make a, like a cut motion. That's just easily going to go from one side to the other side. Like, the actual veins and arteries that you would need to hit, like, that would just not be possible. But, yeah, again, you would have to hit those veins and arteries in order for the person to bleed out and die. So, generally, it would just, it's more, this sounds terrible, but it's more efficient to stab someone because it's a lot easier and quicker. And you're more likely to hit or stab a vein or artery. And also I can imagine that the whole process in itself is just messy. You're going to get blood everywhere. There's a lot of evidence. And as you said, that human neck, it's really difficult. There's a lot of tendons, a lot of veins, and the whole process can be quite gruesome. It is. Like, the neck is quite a robust structure. So, yes, um, slitting someone's throat just feels to me, like, very intimate. It's very aggressive. It's a very angry crime. And the fact that... He, like, they didn't really know each other. It's very much stranger. Like, why is there that amount of anger behind the murder? But in any way, you probably haven't thought about Anzunet's daughter and her domestic worker. And now you're wondering, hey, Tam, what about her daughter and her domestic worker? Well, let me tell you, all of this took place in the 45-minute period that Anzunet's domestic worker had taken her daughter to the park that is close to their house. A neighbor reportedly found the door and the security gates open, and he told the newspaper that he suspected Anzunet had recognized her killer. 
And he was right, but essentially it was Anzanette's domestic worker that found her body. And less than an hour later, three men were arrested under suspicious circumstances. Okay, I hate when people say that. Like, what are suspicious circumstances? So, let me tell you what the suspicious circumstances were in this case. So, police driving on Racecourse Road spotted three men pushing a trolley with a TV, three laptops, and other possessions inside it. It was later revealed that the items from the trolley and the suspect's clothing had blood spatter on it. The three men were identified as 31-year-old Muhammad Armin Sali, 28-year-old Warren Van Royen, and 32-year-old Dudley Busak. The men were taken into custody. The men appeared in the Weinberg Magistrates Court Monday, the 15th of October, 2012. And this is where details of the killings emerged. And before we jump into the court proceedings, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Just in Crime SA for more episodes, case-related content, updates, and other riveting content. Also, always keep in mind we are not professionals in any of the discussed fields. If you or anyone you know is in danger, you can find resources on our social media pages, or alternatively, you can contact the Gender-Based Violence Command Center at 0800-428-428 or SMS HELP to 31531. The prosecution claimed that the attack was premeditated, but although Sali had pleaded guilty to murder, he denied that the murder was premeditated, but this plea was essentially rejected by the judge. The state did not accept his claim and then proceeded to call witnesses to prove that he had planned her murder. They called on forensic pathologist Estefan Afonso and he gave evidence against Sali and he told the court that the cause of death was sharp force trauma and the consequences thereof. He further said that there was a 250 millimeter wound to Duplessis neck, at least three incised wounds and cuts that had penetrated her airway, which made it difficult to breathe. There was an artery severed, which caused severe bleeding. There was also other stab wounds that had penetrated her lungs. She further had a number of bruises on her body and wounds on her hands, which indicated she fought off her attacker. And again, this is why I say he could not have used a pocket knife to do this amount of damage. Sally faced a minimum sentence of life in prison for murder and 15 years in jail for aggravated robbery. I'm not sure about what happened to his co-accused Warren Van Royen and Dudley Busak, but from what I found, it looked like it was for possession of stolen property, aggravated robbery, or both. The men would return to the court at a later stage for their bail applications, but the case was postponed to the 14th of December 2012. The community was saddened by the tragic passing of Anzunette. They followed the case closely and attended every court appearance to ensure that justice would be served, but the bail application had the community furious. The then residents banded together to prevent Sali from getting bail. The chairperson of the Claremont CPF, Mike Cabot, started a petition when he heard Sali would be applying for bail. He was a close family friend of the Duplessis and said that they were still deeply affected by the loss of Anzanette. He said that Sali has the right to apply for bail, but it does not mean that he should get it. He added then, I thought of drawing up this petition because the issue is close to my heart and the community should be protected from falling victim to a killer. 
Kabat revealed that at this time of Anzanet's murder, Sali was already out on bail in connection with not one, but two previous murders. He stated, Having been out on bail previously and then committing this crime shows that there's a strong chance that he will kill again if he is granted bail. And then he added that if he gets out on bail, the justice system would have failed the community yet again. There was a petition that was presented to the court and it had over 751 signatures. Wow, 751 is a lot of signatures. But do you know how much they had to get? Like how many? So I don't actually know how many signatures they had to get. I don't think there was a specific number. I'm pretty sure they ended up getting more than 751. But yeah, I'm not sure if there was a specific number. But on top of the petition, Ward Councillor Matthew Kempton drafted a letter that advised that bail shouldn't be granted. He said that the police do a good job of apprehending criminals, but they're let down by the criminal justice system. He added that often it comes across that criminals have more rights than their victims. And then he just ended by saying, what is the point of police trying to protect the community if criminals are just set free? If he is given bail, and I quote, I will lose faith in the system and take it to the highest power. So it's unclear if bail was granted, but based off of the strong reaction from the public, as well as a whole letter from a ward counselor, I'm assuming that he didn't get bail. But in any way, fast forward to Monday, the 11th of June, 2013. The time has come for closing arguments. Prosecutor Evadne Kortier stated to the High Court that convicted murderer Muhammad Armin Sali not only killed Anzunet Duplessis, but he also ruined the lives of their now three-year-old daughter, her fiancé, and her mother. Kortia further handed letters to the court from her husband and her mother, Sandra. I'm going to read her mother's letter for us, um, and this letter was addressed directly to Sali, and it read, I want to tell you how my whole life changed in the blink of an eye. Why did you hurt her? Why did you take her life? I have no sympathy for you. Do you realize what Anzunet meant to all of us? You did not only take her life, but all of ours too. Her fiance also wrote a letter and this letter was directed at Anzunet. And basically it just documented all of the milestones that their daughter had achieved. And it promised to keep her engagement ring and everything she owned so that it could one day be given to her daughter. Acting Judge Diane Davis found Sally guilty of premeditated murder and aggravated robbery after he was found in possession of stolen property less than an hour after the murder. So, Ash, just guess what Anzanet's life was worth for Sali. Uh, you see, I don't know how much a Blackberry costed back in the day, but I know there was that and like what, laptops, some other stuff. I'm sure he took like a big ticket item of some sort. But I can't imagine that it would be too much, like maybe like 10k? So let me tell you, this property was valued at 43,000 Rand. And this is what Sali thought Anzanet's life was worth. I mean, 43,000 Rand is a lot of money, but it's definitely not more valuable than a person's life. Like, it's definitely not worth it. During mitigation, Sali's lawyer, Ken Klopper, 
argued that there were substantial and compelling circumstances to deviate from the prescribed minimum sentence of life in prison for premeditated murder and 15 years in jail for aggravated robbery. He said that his client had left school at a young age. He had a difficult childhood, was not an idle member of society as he worked for his father's maintenance business for 15 years, and he was married with two children. He said, I asked the court to accept that he has a problem with drugs, but he never used this as an excuse for committing the offense. I want to argue despite the gravity of the offense, Mr. Sali isn't trying to minimize his role and he was showing genuine remorse. Sali's sentencing took place Friday the 14th of June 2013 and unfortunately I don't have any information on the outcome of the case just because as we all know the media very much buys into something in the beginning and as it goes on the media just report less and less about it because obviously there are a lot of other stories to report on so yes what did you think of the case? I mean, I thought it was super interesting. It's, again, that thing of all that anger and brutality coming from someone who doesn't even know you, like basically a complete stranger. And again, it's when you spoke about basically him slitting her throat, like that is such a difficult act and so tedious and aggressive that I can't even imagine. I also just feel like I want to ask if they're not asking about if he's not trying to use drugs as a um, excuse, then why was it brought up? Like, what must we do with that information? That is such a good point. And uh, his lovely lawyer, (laughs) I'm not throwing shade to him. I just don't particularly enjoy the side he's on. Like, he he's just doing his job. But his lawyer was saying that he has two children and he's married. And I mean, Anzunette was a fiance and she had a mother and she also had a daughter. So I feel like that is just a really like um, unnecessary thing to say because it's like Ash said, what must we do with this information? And also, um, just lastly, with his life sentence in prison, this is the part that irritates me the most. Even though he has been, um, was it arrested or accused of the two other murders? So he was accused and I'm pretty sure arrested for two other murders because he was out on bail for those two at the time of Antoinette's murder. Okay, so basically, just like another interesting fact, Um, With life in prison in South Africa, we don't actually have like a life in prison. So basically in America, life in prison essentially means like you are going to die there. Like you are going to be 60. They are not going to let you out. Whereas in South Africa, life in prison only runs up to 25 years and then you are eligible for parole. If parole is then denied in the when you go and apply, you then have like a two-year period and then you can apply again. So, I mean, even though he's literally killed two other people, now three um, with Anzunette, it just feels like is justice ever going to be served because we're going to reach that 25-year cap and who knows, he might be let out again. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to check out our social media for more episodes, case-related content, and other riveting info. We'd also like to give a massive shout-out to Christian Putter for creating our theme song. Be sure to check out more of his work on Instagram at Christian underscore Putter. And then we would also just like to thank Anthony Catano for creating our album art. So be sure to follow him at Ant Catano. 
on Instagram. And lastly, we'd like to give a huge shout out to VU Media for helping produce this podcast. Be sure to follow them on Facebook and Insta at VU underscore Media SA.